weeks, we've been looking at the book of Habakkuk. This courageous little book is about a righteous man calling out for God's help in the middle of a world gone mad. It's a fascinating work of song and poetry and conversation and prophecy. And so today, we're going to be focusing on the remainder of chapter 2. Now, I'll be back next week to walk us through chapter 3 uh, and, and think of this sort of like as a, a, as a two-part sermon. So here's where we're at in our story. Chapter 1 is focused on what Habakkuk sees going on in the life of Israel and in the world. The wicked are prospering. The tyrants are having their way with the world. And Habakkuk wants God to explain it. Now, in chapter 2, God responds to Habakkuk's questions directly and asks him to write it all down. And so that's where Curtis came in and pointed us toward a key theme of the book that gets referenced elsewhere in the New Testament. The fact that the righteous will live by faith. We don't live by power or cleverness or control. The righteous live by faith. So that's what he covered. And today I'm going to continue on with the rest of what God says in chapter 2. So in our passage, God has just contrasted the enemy and the righteous person. The righteous live by faith. The enemy lives by greed. They are as greedy as the grave, is the way it puts it. Never satisfied, always wanting more. And they'll step on anyone and everyone to get what they want. God then draws our attention to what the people that are being oppressed have to say about such kingdoms and leaders. And it's, it's worth noting that oppressed people are often very insightful about their oppressors. They often have to be experts on their oppressors because in many cases, their lives literally depend on this expertise. And so God is putting their analysis of the situation front and center in this last part of chapter two. And that's what we're going to pay close attention to together. Before we dig into the passage itself, I want to draw your attention to two very important themes in prophetic literature. When God speaks to Israel through the prophets, he's often confronting two godless systems, the, the godless system of the oppressor and the abandonment the oppressed feel. The oppressed fear that they live in a world that God has either left or has lost control of. They fear God's absence because that means that they are on their own with their oppressors. Now, George Adam Smith calls these twin godless systems the atheism of force and the atheism of fear. The atheism of force is the natural temptation for any empire to begin worshiping their own power. The tyrant nation looks at their own strength and says to themselves, there is no power. No other power that matters. These powerful nations take God's words about himself and say, I am, and there is none beside me. And he who forgets God is sure also to forget his brother. Thus, self-worship leads to cruelty. In making this kind of proclamation, the tyrant nation establishes a godless system, a world without God. There are no powers beyond their power. There are no morals beyond their morals. There are no worlds beyond their world. 
the godlessness of tyrant nations is often very invisible to the tyrants themselves, but it is very obvious to the people that they oppressed. Now let's talk about the atheism of fear. This is the natural temptation for oppressed people to give up hope. In giving up hope, they are tempted to accept the world on the tyrant's terms. There are no powers beyond the tyrant's power. There are no morals beyond the tyrant's morals. And there are no worlds beyond the tyrant's world. So today, we're going to be putting the atheism of power in our crosshairs. Next week, we're going to address the atheism of fear. So with that as our background, let's dig into the passage. So why don't you get that opened up in your Bible or, or uh, uh, pop it up on your phone. Let's read together. Wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the people. The enemy tyrant is on the move, helping himself to the riches of the world around him, enslaving and displacing people. The people he robs and oppresses, they begin writing taunts and jokes and riddles about the enemy tyrant nation. And here is how Habakkuk describes that. Here's how God describes that. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn. So what follows verse 6 are five woes. These are things that people say about their oppressors. Woes are often thought of as, as curses or cries for help. They are funeral language. They are a way to lament and mourn the injustice around us. And so here they are in order. They pronounce woe on unjust economics. Woe to stolen land and houses. Woe to slave labor. Woe to the politics of distraction. And woe to lying idols. And then we end this chapter with stunned silence. A hushed throne room with God seated, large and in charge. So let's briefly walk down from the top and watch as tyrant nations burn themselves out. Woe to unjust economics. Wealth creation is meant to be generated from the good work of the people. It resides in the goodness of the land, the goodness of community, the goodness of creativity and kindness, and all of it flowing from the goodness of God. But tyrant nations don't take time to build something useful, something beautiful, or something good. Instead, they take those things from others. Like Cain, they become jealous of the good wealth of their brother. Wealth they themselves are capable of creating. And they crush his head with a rock and take what he has. Tyrant nations do this through the mechanisms of debt, extortion, plunder, and murder. But as the oppressed know, what goes around comes around. Wealth that is generated from theft is inherently unstable. If it can be taken from someone else by force, it can easily be taken away from you by force. Now we move on to woe to stolen land. 
These tyrants, as greedy as the grave, are not content to make off with stolen goods. They begin to move into the land. They take over the houses of the people they have killed. But these are now haunted houses. The stones in the walls, the wooden beams, they all speak out against them. These oppressors are haunted by their injustice. They are haunted by the God of justice who sees and hears the cries of the oppressed. And now we move to woe to slave labor. The people, the tyrant nations left behind, forced into slavery. The wealth of this new nation and city is built on bodies and it is paved with blood. The labor of slaves is futile. It's just kindling for some future fire. The empire imagines it will spread over the entire earth unopposed. But instead of an earth covered in empire and subjugation, the earth is covered in the news of their crimes and cries for God's rescue. The glory and justice of the God of the celestial warriors, that's the the name for God used here, it covers the earth like waters cover the sea. Woe to the politics of distraction. Realizing they can no longer control the narrative, they hope to pacify people with a good time. It's time for bread and circuses. It's time to get each other drunk on the riches and spoils. As greedy as the grave, they begin to devour one another. They stagger around drunk and naked, covered in shame. The emperor has no clothes. But now, they're about to taste one of the sweetest vintages, the cup from the right hand of God. They're about to get punch drunk on divine justice. They're going to stagger all right. They will fall to the ground humiliated. The bill has now come due. They're going to pay for what they've done to the land, to the animals, and to the people. Woe to lying idols. They wanted a world without God, and now they have one. The stories and symbols, the idols and dark powers that they have placed all their hope in cannot help them now. These things are empty of life, empty of guidance. They wanted a world without God, a world without restraint, a world without guidance, and they have one. And then comes the cry from a throne room of God. Silence. Friends, the big question in this chapter is, is Habakkuk talking about Israel? Or is he talking about the Chaldeans? Or about Babylon? Or another empire? And the answer to this question is yes, all of them. All empires imagine this time will be different. And all empires fall prey to the same temptation and process. You can see it, can't you? This is Israel in a nutshell. This is Babylon in a nutshell. This is Alexander the Great in a nutshell. This is Rome. This is Genghis Khan. This is the British Empire. This is the United States of America. This is even Canada. Be warned, tyrants. The oppressed are telling on you. They see you for what you are. 
They pronounce judgment against you. They condemn your unjust economics. They condemn your land theft. They condemn your slave labor. They condemn your politics of distraction. They condemn your lying idols, symbols, and stories. Silence. You are not God, tyrant. Silence. Okay, so, so that was heavy. And it's important that when we reach points like this in the Old Testament to remind ourselves that while this is bad news and this is still the truth, there is also another kind of news that's attempting to announce itself right in the middle of this world. So what is that good news? Well, the truth is I actually don't have any good news for empires or tyrants. They will all be put to shame. They will all be destroyed. This sermon isn't for them. I only have good news for the oppressed and for those who are sick of being complicit in the life of an empire. I only have good news for the oppressed and those who are ready to defect from their empire. And in this moment of silence, before the throne of God, something new is emerging. God, through Jesus, is establishing a new kingdom, a kingdom that begins in silent awe before God. So what I'd like to do next is to read you sort of a, a poem or a, 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 a song, a, a counter-woe story that I wrote. And it's a series of blessings. It sounds a whole lot like the Beatitudes. Because what I want to do at the end of this particular chapter, in this awe-filled silence before God, I want to pronounce a series of blessings, five blessings, in fact. Blessings that undo or specifically critique what the empire believes and replace it with the truth about God, the truth about Christian community, and the truth about how God's kingdom enters and changes the very world we live in. So, as we close here, please receive these five blessings from me. Blessed are the guided. The idols of the empire cannot guide the people. Blessed are people who hear God and obey God. This is where the kingdom starts. It, it, it begins when we renounce the empire and we follow Jesus. Blessed are the sober-minded. The empire is all smoke and mirrors. Blessed are those who see through the distractions and cut through the noise of the empire. Blessed are those who renew their minds and sharpen their analysis. Blessed are those who are no longer suckers for distractions. Blessed are those who see through the lies and hear clearly the truth of God. Blessed are the liberators and community builders. The empire builds its cities through slavery and bloodshed. Blessed are those who create communities of liberation and freedom. Blessed are those who repair broken walls. Blessed are those who build wholesome and just communities. Blessed are those who work to restore the land, the animals, and the people. Blessed are the home builders. 
The empire lives in haunted houses. Blessed are those who construct homes, not to isolate from harm, but homes that provide shelter and safe harbor for the fatherless and the motherless. The walls of their homes ring with laughter and with love and with community. Blessed are the wealth creators. The empire doesn't generate true wealth. They take what does not belong to them. Blessed are those who put their hands together with their neighbors and build something useful, something beautiful, and something good. This is a good world, and there is such a thing as enough. Friends, this is the kingdom of God at work in the middle of this fallen world. It's not a product of technique, a positive attitude, or can-do people. It flows from the good news about Jesus. It flows from what he has done. Jesus has established this kingdom. To the people who hear his voice and obey what they hear, God invites us to set ourselves to this kind of work. Wherever you are, join the work of the people of God. Do the work of a Christian. God is restoring the world. God is inviting you to be restored and to be part of a restoration community. To those of you in the empire, come out of it. To those under the empire, good news, there's another kingdom at work. You are not on your own. Let us all return to God and to enter the awestruck silence. With God as our leader, let's begin again right here in the wreckage of this fallen empire. Thank you, Jared, for that incredible word. It's fantastic having you share with our community. What an important and possibly uncomfortable message. Navigating the realities of empires, it's been a constant reality for God's people. And there may be a tendency within us to deny this is true in our time for our church, to downplay our, our active or passive participation in systems of oppression and force. But one of my favorite all-time movies, The Usual Suspects, reminds us the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. So, rather than downplaying and sidestepping a challenging message like the one we've heard today, how can we instead embrace the challenge to take arms against the empire? How can we rise up to our moment with a determination to be among those who are working to reverse the patterns and stand up for the oppressed? What does it look like to join God in the renewal of all things amidst the broken systems that we live in? Well, for starters, as a church community, we can look to our postures for some direction. Our postures help paint a picture for what it looks like to be a part of God's redemptive work in the world. They help position us so that we can play our part. So at Lakeview Church, we embrace a forward-leaning posture, anticipating God's movements. We understand that our world faces challenges that must be thoughtfully navigated and negotiated. We are prepared to risk our comfort and security to help transform evil into good. Sounds pretty good, right? So what practice can help us embody a forward posture as we navigate issues of empire in our world? Well, this week, you are invited to practice defiance. 
defiance is the intentional act of resisting evil in all its forms. It's a practice that acknowledges that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Yes, there are all kinds of signs of beauty and life and goodness in the world, but not all things are as they should be. There are systems of our society that are out of sync with God's intentions for the world. And there are areas in our own lives that are out of sync as well. Defiance is a way that we can respond redemptively to the wrongs in our world. So what does this look like? Well, I have a few invitations for you to consider this week. To start with, I invite you to be on the lookout for the issues of empire that were highlighted from Habakkuk this morning. We've put a little worksheet together that you can download, but basically over the course of the next week, I want to invite you to start paying attention with a little holy curiosity. Ask the Spirit to help you notice areas of society that may have been disrupted by the ways of evil and simply write them down. You know, maybe when you grab a banana for breakfast, you'll take a moment and consider, I wonder what the working conditions are like on the farm where this came from. Just write that down. Maybe when you're scrolling through your Instagram feed late at night, you'll wonder, how much of my time and attention am I giving to this? Write that down. Maybe you'll drive past the lighthouse when you're downtown and you'll wonder, like, what kind of challenges those people have faced that I have never had to worry about? Write that down. Try to live this week with your eyes wide open, paying attention with a little holy curiosity. And then I invite you to set aside some time to sit with the things you've noticed and simply invite the Spirit to fill your mind with imagination for a better way. And listen, we're not going to flip the empire on its head overnight. But with the Spirit's help, we can start chipping away at the stronghold that the empire has on our world. You see, defiance begins with a holy curiosity and it leads to holy disruption. Maybe we will change the way we spend our money. Maybe we will think twice about the companies we support. Maybe we will reconsider how much of our money we spend on ourselves versus how much we share with others. Maybe we'll change the way we spend our time. Maybe we will rethink how much hustle we're putting into all of our kids' activities rather than our presence among our neighbors. Maybe we'll just like adjust the TV shows we watch or the podcasts we listen to. Maybe we'll get inspired to learn more about the realities of life for people around the world or around the corner in our own city. The possibilities are endless, but they will simply remain possibilities unless we are willing to enter in. So I invite you to practice a little defiance this week on your own. And I also invite you to practice defiance with others. Consider gathering with friends and family from our church community for the purpose of exploring these hard conversations together. This can happen as a part of a home church, or you can simply invite people over to yard for hard talks around a fire. Our efforts of defiance are multiplied when we commit to doing this together in community. 
when we are willing to courageously name issues in society together, we make room for the Spirit to inspire a communal response. And this is best done with intentionality. Don't simply invite friends over for a fire and expect you're going to press into these issues together. You might, but it's more likely to happen if you're clear why you're gathering. Take time, pray, and ask the Spirit to bring to mind issues of injustice and evil in the world. Take time to name hard things. Wrestle with what you see in the world and wrestle with the ways that you might be complicit in systems of injustice. But don't simply name the hard things. Ask the Spirit to give you a holy imagination for how you can all do things differently. Inspire one another with ideas for how things can be different in the world. Imagine a better world and find ways to commit working towards that vision. Make defiance a collective effort. Join arms with a few friends and become a little expression of the counter-empire together. Now, can I just add that if this like, sounds at all overwhelming, keep in mind, this is already happening. People in our church are already swimming in these waters. Many of you have already found creative ways to go against the flow of society, and you are already doing your part to chip away at the empire. I think of people like Dave Longel, who fixes cars for all kinds of people who really need it, and he charges way less money than he could because it's his way of being generous. I think of all the parents I know who are pushing against the expectations for every 10-year-old to have their own iPhone. I think of my own wife, Tara, who's inspired many in our church community to take seriously the matters of truth and reconciliation with our indigenous neighbors. I think of the many young adults who choose to give up their Friday evenings to serve the youth in our church. I think of Melissa Riston, who has opened up her home to become a safe place for foster children to be loved and known. I think of those who've decided not to make their purchases on Amazon because they believe in supporting the businesses in their neighborhood. I think of Aiden Mari, who gave away his video game console when he realized that it was consuming too much of his time. I think of all of those who are consistently delivering meals to people from our church or our community who are sick or who are hurting. I think of the people in our church who give away thousands and thousands of dollars not only to support Lakeview Church, but countless other charities that are doing incredibly important work for the kingdom. These are all acts of defiance. They are small steps against the patterns of the empire. And these are the kinds of ways that you and I can join God in transforming evil into good. 